Chapter Twenty Four of Memoirs of Napoleon Bonaparte, Volume Three, by Louis Antoine Fauvelet de Bourrienne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Gillian Hendry. Chapter Twenty Four, Seventeen Ninety Nine. Combaceres and Le Brun. Goyer deceived. My nocturnal visit to Barra. The command of the army given to Bonaparte. The morning of the 18th Brumaire. Meeting of the generals at Bonaparte's house. Bernadotte's firmness. Josephine's interest for Madame Goyer. Disappointment of the directors. Review in the gardens of the Tuileries. Bonaparte's harangue. Proclamation of the ancients. Moreau, jailer of the Luxembourg. My conversation with Lavalette. Bonaparte at Saint-Cloud. The parts of the great drama which was shortly to be enacted were well distributed. During the three days preceding the 18th Brumaire, everyone was at his post. Lucien, with equal activity and intelligence, forwarded the conspiracy in the two councils. C.S. had the management of the directory. Réal, under the instructions of Fouché, negotiated with the departments and dexterously managed without compromising Fouché, to ruin those from whom that minister had received his power. There was no time to lose, and Fouché said to me on the 14th Brumaire, quote, Tell your general to be speedy. If he delays, he is lost. End quote. Footnote. Pierre-François Réal, 1757-1834. Public accuser before the Revolutionary Criminal Tribunal became, under Napoleon, conseiller d'état and comte, and was charged with the affairs of the haute police. End footnote. Footnote. Joseph Fauché, 1754-1820, conventionalist, member of extreme Jacobin party, minister of police under the directory, August 1799, retained by Napoleon in that ministry till 1802, and again from 1804 to 1810, became Duc d'Otrante in 1809, disgraced in 1810, and sent in 1813 as governor of the Illyrian provinces, minister of police during the Cent Jours, president of the provisional government 1815, and for a short time minister of police under second restoration. End footnote. On the 17th, Regnaud de Saint-Jean-d'Angely told Bonaparte that the overtures made to Combaceres and Le Brun had not been received in a very decided way. I will have no tergiversation, replied Bonaparte with warmth. Let them not flatter themselves that I stand in need of them. They must decide today. Tomorrow will be too late. I feel myself strong enough now to stand alone. Combaceres and Le Brun were almost utter strangers to the intrigues which preceded the 18th Brumaire. Footnote. Combaceres, J.J. Régide, 1763-1824, to 1824, Conventionalist, Minister of Justice under Directory, 1799, Second Consul, 25th December, 1799, Arch-Chancellor of the Empire, 1804, Duc de Parma, 1806, Minister of Justice during the Cent Jours, 
took great part in all the legal and administrative projects of the consulate and empire. End footnote. Footnote. Charles Francois Lebrun, 1757-1824, deputy to the National Assembly and member of the Council of the Five Hundred, Third Consul, 25th December, 1799, Arch-Treasurer of the Empire, 1804, Duc de Plaisance, 1806, Governor-General of Holland, 1806, Lieutenant-Governor of Holland, 1810-1813, chiefly engaged in financial measures. End footnote. Bonaparte had cast his eyes on the Minister of Justice to be one of his colleagues when he should be at liberty to name them, because his previous conduct had pledged him as a partisan of the revolution. To him Bonaparte added Le Brun to counterbalance the first choice. Le Brun was distinguished for honourable conduct and moderate principles. By selecting these two men, Bonaparte hoped to please everyone. Besides, neither of them were able to contend against his fixed determination and ambitious views. What petty intrigues marked the 17th Brumaire! On that day I dined with Bonaparte, and after dinner he said, quote, I have promised to dine tomorrow with Goyer, but, as you may readily suppose, I do not intend going. However, I am very sorry for his obstinacy. By way of restoring his confidence, Josephine is going to invite him to breakfast with us tomorrow. It will be impossible for him to suspect anything. I saw Barra this morning and left him much disturbed. He asked me to return and visit him tonight. I promised to do so, but I shall not go. Tomorrow all will be over. There is but little time. He expects me at eleven o'clock tonight. You shall therefore take my carriage, go there, send in my name, and then enter yourself. Tell him that a severe headache confines me to my bed, but that I will be with him without fail tomorrow. Bid him not be alarmed, for all will soon be right again. Elude his questions as much as possible. Do not stay long, and come to me on your return." At precisely eleven o'clock, I reached the residence of Barra in General Bonaparte's carriage. Solitude and silence prevailed in all the apartments through which I passed to Barra's cabinet. Bonaparte was announced, and when Barra saw me enter instead of him, he manifested the greatest astonishment and appeared much cast down. It was easy to perceive that he looked on himself as a lost man. I executed my commission and stayed only a short time. I rose to take my leave, and he said, while showing me out, quote, I see that Bonaparte is deceiving me. He will not come again. He has settled everything, yet to me he owes all. End quote. I repeated that he would certainly come tomorrow, but he shook his head in a way which plainly denoted that he did not believe me. When I gave Bonaparte an account of my visit, he appeared much pleased. He told me that Joseph was going to call that evening on Bernadotte, and to ask him to come tomorrow. I replied that, from all I knew, he would be of no use to him. I believe so too, said he, but he can no longer injure me, and that is enough. Well, good night. Be here at seven in the morning. It was then one o'clock.
I was with him a little before seven o'clock on the morning of the 18th Brumaire, and on my arrival I found a great number of generals and officers assembled. I entered Bonaparte's chamber and found him already up, a thing rather unusual with him. At this moment he was as calm as on the approach of a battle. In a few moments Joseph and Bernadotte arrived. Joseph had not found him at home on the preceding evening and had called for him that morning. I was surprised to see Bernadotte in plain clothes, and I stepped up to him and said in a low voice, General, everyone here except you and I is in uniform. Why should I be in uniform? said he. As he uttered these words, Bonaparte, struck with the same surprise as myself, stopped short while speaking to several persons around him, and turning quickly towards Bernadotte, said, How is this? You are not in uniform. I never am on a morning when I am not on duty, replied Bernadotte. You will be on duty presently. I have not heard a word of it. I should have received my orders sooner. Bonaparte then led Bernadotte into an adjoining room. Their conversation was not long, for there was no time to spare. On the other hand, by the influence of the principal conspirators, the removal of the legislative body to Saint-Cloud was determined on the morning of the 18th Brumaire, and the command of the army was given to Bonaparte. All this time, Barras was no doubt waiting for Bonaparte, and Madame Bonaparte was expecting Gouillet to breakfast. At Bonaparte's were assembled all the generals who were devoted to him. I never saw so great a number before in the Rue de la Victoire. They were all except Bernadotte, in full uniform, and there were besides half a dozen persons there initiated in the secrets of the day. The little hotel of the conqueror of Italy was much too small for such an assemblage, and several persons were standing in the courtyard. Bonaparte was acquainted with the decree of the Council of the Ancients, and only waited for its being brought to him before he should mount his horse. That decree was adopted in the Council of the Ancients by what may be called a false majority, for the members of the council were summoned at different hours, and it was so contrived that sixty or eighty of them, whom Lucien and his friends had not been able to gain over, should not receive their notices in time. As soon as the message from the Council of the Ancients arrived, Bonaparte requested all the officers at his house to follow him. At that announcement, a few who were in ignorance of what was going on did not follow. At least, I saw two groups separately leave the hotel. Bernadotte said to me, I shall stay with you. I perceived there was a good deal of suspicion in his manner. Bonaparte, before going down the stairs which led from the small round dining room into the courtyard, returned quickly to bid Bernadotte follow him. He would not, and Bonaparte then said to me, while hurrying off, Goyer is not come so much the worse for him, and leaped on his horse. Scarcely was he off when Bernadotte left me. Josephine and I being now left alone, she acquainted me with her anxiety. I assured her that everything had been so well prepared that success was certain. She felt much interest about Goyer on account of her friendship for his wife. She asked me whether I was well acquainted with Goyer, you know, madam, replied I, 
that we have been only twenty days in Paris, and that during that time I have only gone out to sleep in the Rue Martel. I have seen Monsieur Gouillet several times when he came to visit the general, and have talked to him about the situation of our affairs in Switzerland, Holland, France, and other political matters. But I never exchanged a word with him as to what is now going on. This is the whole extent of my acquaintance with him. I am sorry for it, resumed Josephine, because I should have asked you to write to him and beg him to make no stir, but imitate C.S. and Roger, who will voluntarily retire, and not to join Barat, who is probably at this very moment forced to do so. Bonaparte has told me that if Goyer voluntarily resigns, he will do everything for him. I believe Josephine communicated directly with the president of the directory through a friend of Madame Goyer's. Goyer and Moulin, no longer depending on C.S. and Roger Ducot, waited for their colleague, Barat, in the hall of the directory, to adopt some measure on the decree for removing the council to Saint-Cloud. But they were disappointed, for Barat, whose eyes had been opened by my visit on the preceding night, did not join them. He had been invisible to his colleagues from the moment that Brie and Monsieur de Talleyrand had informed him of the reality of what he already suspected, and insisted on his retirement. On the 18th Brumaire, a great number of military, amounting to about 10,000 men, were assembled in the gardens of the Tuileries, and were reviewed by Bonaparte, accompanied by Generals Bernonville, Moreau, and MacDonald. Bonaparte read to them the decree just issued by the Commission of Inspectors of the Council of the Ancients, by which the legislative body was removed to Saint-Cloud, and by which he himself was entrusted with the execution of that decree, and appointed to the command of all the military force in Paris, and afterwards delivered an address to the troops. Whilst Bonaparte was haranguing the soldiers, the Council of the Ancients published an address to the French people in which it was declared that the seat of the legislative body was changed in order to put down the factions, whose object was to control the national representation. Whilst all this was passing abroad, I was at the general's house in the Rue de la Victoire, which I never left during the whole day. Madame Bonaparte and I were not without anxiety in Bonaparte's absence. I learned from Josephine that Joseph's wife had received a visit from Adjutant-General Rapatel, who had been sent by Bonaparte and Moreau to bring her husband to the Tuileries. Joseph was from home at the time, and so the message was useless. This circumstance, however, awakened hopes which we had scarcely dared to entertain. Moreau was then in accordance with Bonaparte, for Rapatel was sent in the name of both generals. This alliance, so long despaired of, appeared to augur favourably. It was one of Bonaparte's happy strokes. Moreau, who was a slave to military discipline, regarded his successful rival only as a chief nominated by the Council of the Ancients. He received his orders and obeyed them. Bonaparte appointed him commander of the guard of the Luxembourg, where the directors were under confinement. He accepted the command and no circumstance could have contributed more effectually to the accomplishment of Bonaparte's views and to the triumph of his ambition. 
At length, Bonaparte, whom we had impatiently expected, returned. Almost everything had gone well with him, for he had had only to do with soldiers. In the evening he said to me, I am sure that the committee of inspectors of the hall are at this very moment engaged in settling what is to be done at Saint-Cloud tomorrow. It is better to let them decide the matter, for by that means their vanity is flattered. I will obey orders which I have myself concerted. What Bonaparte was speaking of had been arranged nearly two or three days previously. The committee of inspectors was under the influence of the principal conspirators. In the evening of this anxious day, which was destined to be succeeded by a stormy morrow, Bonaparte, pleased with having gained over Moreau, spoke to me of Bernadotte's visit in the morning. I saw, said he, that you were as much astonished as I at Bernadotte's behaviour. A general out of uniform. He might as well have come in slippers. Do you know what passed when I took him aside? I told him all. I thought that the best way. I assured him that his directory was hated and his constitution worn out, that it was necessary to turn them all off and give another impulse to the government. Go and put on your uniform, said I. I cannot wait for you long. You will find me at the Tuileries with the rest of our comrades. Do not depend on Moreau, Bernonville, or the generals of your party. When you know them better, you will find that they promise much, but perform little. Do not trust them. Bernadotte then said that he would not take part in what he called a rebellion. A rebellion? Pourien, only think of that. A set of imbeciles, who from morning to night do nothing but debate in their kennels. But all was in vain. I could not move Bernadotte. He is a bar of iron. I asked him to give me his word that he would do nothing against me. What do you think was his answer? Something unpleasant, no doubt. Unpleasant? That is too mild a word. He said, I will remain quiet as a citizen, but if the directory order me to act, I will march against all disturbers. But I can laugh at all that now. My measures are taken, and he will have no command. However, I set him at ease as to what would take place. I flattered him with a picture of private life, the pleasures of the country, and the charms of Malmaison, and I left him with his head full of pastoral dreams. In a word, I am very well satisfied with my day's work. Good night, Bourrienne. We shall see what will turn up tomorrow. On the 19th, I went to Saint-Cloud with my friend La Valette. As we passed the Place Louis Cannes, now Louis says, he asked me what was doing, and what my opinion was as to the coming events. Without entering into any detail, I replied, My friend, either we shall sleep tomorrow at the Luxembourg, or there will be an end of us. Who could tell which of the two things would happen? Success legalised a bold enterprise, which the slightest accident might have changed into a crime. The sitting of the ancients under the presidency of Le Mercier commenced at one o'clock. A warm discussion took place upon the situation of affairs, the resignation of the members of the directory, and the immediate election of others. Great heat and agitation prevailed during the debate. 
intelligence was every minute carried to Bonaparte of what was going forward, and he determined to enter the hall and take part in the discussion. He entered in a hasty and angry way, which did not give me a favourable foreboding of what he was about to say. We passed through a narrow passage to the centre of the hall. Our backs were turned to the door. Bonaparte had the president to his right. He could not see him full in the face. I was close to the general on his right. Berthier was at his left. All the speeches which have been subsequently passed off as having been delivered by Bonaparte on this occasion differ from each other, as well they may, for he delivered none to the ancients, unless his confused conversation with the president, which was alike devoid of dignity and sense, is to be called a speech. He talks of his brothers in arms and the frankness of a soldier. The questions of the president followed each other rapidly. They were clear, but it is impossible to conceive anything more confused or worse delivered than the ambiguous and perplexed replies of Bonaparte. He talked without end of volcanoes, secret agitations, victories, a violated constitution. He blamed the proceedings of the 18th Fructidor, of which he was the first promoter and the most powerful supporter. He pretended to be ignorant of everything until the Council of Ancients had called him to the aid of his country. Then came Caesar, Cromwell, Tyrant, and he several times repeated, I have nothing more to say to you, though in fact he had said nothing. He alleged that he had been called to assume the supreme authority on his return from Italy by the desire of the nation, and afterwards by his comrades in arms. Next followed the words, Liberty! Equality! Though it was evident, he had not come to Saint-Cloud for the sake of either. No sooner did he utter these words than a member of the ancients, named, I think, Langley, interrupting him, exclaimed, you forget the constitution. His countenance immediately lighted up, yet nothing could be distinguished but the 18th Fructidor, the 30th Réal, hypocrites, intriguers, I will disclose all, I will resign my power when the danger which threatens the Republic shall have passed away. Bonaparte, believing all his assertions to be admitted as proved, assumed a little confidence and accused the two directors, Barat and Moulin, of having proposed to put him at the head of a party whose object was to oppose all men professing liberal ideas. At these words, the falsehood of which was odious, a great tumult arose in the hall. A general committee was loudly called for to hear the disclosures. No, no, exclaimed others. No general committee. Conspirators have been denounced. It is right that France should know all. Bonaparte was then required to enter into the particulars of his accusation against Barat and Moulin, and of the proposals which had been made to him. You must no longer conceal anything. Embarrassed by these interruptions and interrogatories, Bonaparte believed that he was completely lost. Instead of giving an explanation of what he had said, he began to make fresh accusations. And against whom? The Council of the Five Hundred, 
who, he said, wished for scaffolds, revolutionary committees, and a complete overthrow of everything. Violent murmurs arose, and his language became more and more incoherent and inconsequent. He addressed himself at one moment to the representatives of the people, who were quite overcome by astonishment, at another to the military in the courtyard, who could not hear him. Then, by an unaccountable transition, he spoke of the thunderbolts of war, and added that he was attended by the god of war and the god of fortune. The president, with great calmness, told him that he saw nothing, absolutely nothing, upon which the council could deliberate, that there was vagueness in all he had said. Explain yourself, reveal the plot which you say you were urged to join. Bonaparte repeated again the same things, but only those who were present can form any idea of his manner. There was not the slightest connection in what he stammered out. Bonaparte was then no orator. It may well be supposed that he was more accustomed to the din of war than to the discussions of the tribunes. He was more at home before a battery than before a president's chair. Perceiving the bad effect which this unconnected babbling produced on the assembly, as well as the embarrassment of Bonaparte, I said in a low voice, pulling him gently by the skirt of his coat, Withdraw, General. You know not what you are saying. I made signs to Berthier, who was on his left, to second me in persuading him to leave the hall. And all at once, after having stammered out a few more words, he turned round, exclaiming, let those who love me follow me. The sentinels at the door offered no opposition to his passing. The person who went before him quietly drew aside the tapestry which concealed the door, and General Bonaparte leaped upon his horse, which stood in the courtyard. It is hard to say what would have happened if, on seeing the general retire, the president had said, Grenadiers, let no one pass. Instead of sleeping next day at the Luxembourg, he would, I am convinced, have ended his career on the Place de la Révolution. End of chapter 24